0: Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today as we do our sermon recap from Palm Sunday. That's what we celebrated uh, this this past Sunday. Looking at Palm Sunday, uh, so we we took our time to walk through the Gospel of Luke's account uh, from the triumphal entry all the way to Christ's Christ's death. A lot of passages there, a, a lot to to go through. And I did try to stay in Luke. You definitely could go into the other Gospels to find some other accounts of different teachings or Whatever, like if you go, uh, uh, the Gospel of John spends a lot more time in the upper room than like Luke did, uh, and so you can see a lot more there in the Gospel of John. But we, we tried to just stay in in Luke and just go through step by step of Jesus's week, that last week here uh, on on Earth, all the way to his to his death. And hopefully, I did that okay <clears throat> of walking through that, not too fast, but fast enough to get done on time. Uh, as well, and so hopefully today we can just talk with amongst the four of us about about Christ's last week. If there's things that jumped out at at you, you guys have all well, Pastor and Dave, you guys have led a church where you guys were the main preaching teaching. Scott, you haven't yet. Uh, but <clears throat> what do you guys think about teaching? Are you Scott? Are you uh, deviating at all on Wednesdays right now because it's Easter?
1: No. Still plowing through X. Just keep going. I'm going to, I'm Today trying will to be an X six, eight. I'm trying to finish. <laughs> I'm <laughs> trying to finish six, by the time we break for summer <laughs> uh, so that we can do something different. world. The there you pile. go. Yeah. There you yeah. go.
0: That's good. Uh, but I've always had, I've all, I've always been someone I want to preach. What's kind of expected on the holidays. Mm-hmm. Christmas time. Yeah. Preach the birth and, and Easter and Palm Sunday. But I was trying to, I've been trying to think through and I don't want to like say what I heard on Palm Sundays and Easter was wrong. I don't I don't think that was it. But just I remember a lot of sermons on um, crucifixion on Easter Sunday. Uh, I remember a lot of them on like uh, how bad it was I'd even hear like about uh, how he died, what the heart does when it goes through this or whatever, like some different things, which is compelling to hear. Uh, But it seemed like sometimes then the resurrection was just a a tag at the end on Easter, which Easter is supposed to be resurrection. But the problem is, if you just preach to resurrection on Easter, and on Palm Sunday you just preach the triumphal entry, you're missing a lot. There's a a lot you miss. And so, as you're trying to prepare sermons, it's hard, I think, to figure out how to uh, get it all in, especially if you're just focusing on them two days. Now, I know in the past here we have actually spent like uh I don't know if it was from January but we did like the life of Christ and we we spent our a long time in it and then those two Sundays kind of looking at those two things. I don't know. I was just going to ask you guys like how have you done it maybe in the in the past? Let me know so I can tell you it was wrong. <laughs> Here's how you should have done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wrong. <laughs>
2: I think one time I did a uh, series, an Easter series about like from John, but talking about light and darkness, like all of the ways in which John throughout the Gospels plays off of that. And um, so I forget what I did in one of my. <laughs> no, I get. In it. one of the things I think I did it from I John tell you twelve, probably, but <laughs> yeah. you know, like the light shines in the darkness, mm-hmm. and then.
0: Did it ever and, feel hard for you? For you though, I mean as you're because tra- 'cause you're trying to think like, you know, yeah. this week is usually a pretty big week in churches and it's mm-hmm. people will ask their friends or more people will come and you're like, I just I want to tell them a lot. You know, there's a lot yeah. there's a lot that you could do. Sure. But you also want to stay at least I've always wanted to stay true. Easter needs to be about the resurrection and mm-hmm. what that means. And mm-hmm. Palm Sunday is very easy to talk about the Trump country. Christ mm-hmm. is king. Look yeah. at him mm-hmm. going, you know.
3: Yeah. Yeah. One <clears throat> time I, what I did is I it's been a few years but i did like palm sunday service and then throughout the week i would i would just do like a i think i did it on i think i did it on facebook live i think um kind of like a little couple minute like okay here's what jesus did on that monday monday yeah, yeah you know holy monday tuesday. and tuesday Wednesday's kind of quiet we don't really know much and then thursday the you know, lord's supper um and then good friday course and then sunday so that was kind of fun it was kind of studying through kind of more of like what passover would have looked like in the original context you know historically and kind of what that meant and stuff and you know ray vandalon who i've I've used i've I've liked his his work as a as a scholar would really help kind of tie in like the whole idea of like lamb selection and how jesus Mm -hmm. fulfilled all these prophecies and stuff from for passover so that was kind of that was kind of fun doing that so yeah
0: the Gospel Coalition years ago did something like that mm. each day. It was. Uh, it's a set of videos. The last week of Jesus. Oh yeah, yeah what is yeah. it? It's the guy from Crossway. Well, uh, Justin Taylor. Yeah.
2: But there's a guy that's on there. Um, yeah. He used to teach at Western Michigan University. <laughs> cool. His last name is Meyer. He's a Lutheran. But he's on there because he's like a scholar. So Joyce Meyer. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's it. That's you
2: got it. I l- with, yes. with the jet. Nailed it. <laughs> no. Uh, Forget what his last name, what his first name is. But yeah, no, those are really good videos because they're really helpful to kind of give some kind of historical background mm-hmm. and just kind of an idea of what was going on.
0: Uh, right. Yeah. They weren't like intense. I remember. No, it was like, yeah. they were like Five under, minutes. Yeah. They were short. Maybe even less than yeah. that. But it was just, mm-hmm. you know, this is Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm-hmm. This is what was going on. Saturdays was pretty boring. Uh, <laughs> Not <laughs> for the Jewish he's, people. He's dead. <laughs> yeah. he's just like he's, he's, he's passed in the tomb. Yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> there
2: was there was the uh, conspiracy to saying, "Hey, we got to put some guards around here." Yeah, you that did that have was that. going on. Yeah, that <laughs> was going on. Yep,
0: you did have that. Um, so, uh, the message. Let's get to it. So, the triumphal entry happens, uh, takes place. Christ is coming into town. Um, people are are praising him and worshiping him. Uh, have you guys ever? done lessons on this what are your thoughts for the triumph entry what is the what is the focus what is what is going on here what are we to know from this moment and why would it even be in scripture for us to have
3: well i think is is it psalm is it 118 is that the hosanna psalm psalm
0: which one what'd you say the
3: this in the psalms the Hoshana is used um Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Psalm one eighteen.
2: There's a there's a series of Hallel songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
3: there's one that specifically that yeah. t- that reference. And so I think I mean I think from a cultural standpoint, it would have been very, um, very exciting because it was very much like this is a fulfillment. You know, kind of a the political messianic. You know, uh, tone was set as Jesus comes riding in, you know, uh, as a very much like the people are waving the palm branches. They're like, okay, he's finally here and he's going to conquer our enemies, just like God sent Moses to bring us out of slavery. So he's bringing this Messiah to bring us out of this second slavery under Egypt or under Rome. And so I think it would have been very, um, a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, anticipation. The energy was probably very like, Alive, if you will, because of these expectations that they had for what the Messiah would, what they thought would do. So yeah. just
1: leading up to this moment in Christ's ministry, anytime anybody would reveal who he was or mm-hmm. say who he was or publicly proclaim the miracles that he did, he would tell them be quiet. Like he would rebuke them in this instance. They're calling him the King coming into Jerusalem and he's told by the Pharisees to rebuke your disciples. And he says, yeah, not this time. Mm-hmm. Right now, now is the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and so this is, you did a good job in your sermon, just pointing out that before the statement you mentioned, like, uh, what Christ said to his mother at the wedding at Cana, um, my hour is not yet come and, uh, <clears throat> but now it has come. Mm-hmm. This is the time Yeah, that's going to happen.
0: Yeah. I've often wondered how many people were there, um, because, as yeah. you as you read this, it almost could come across as like it was just the disciples, maybe some people who followed him. But then, but then there were Pharisees there mm-hmm. all of a sudden asking. Says, so that so then you know there was more. There's a whole multitude of his disciples. Yes, and then uh, I think some other accounts and the other gospels make it seem like a lot of people were there. But I've often I've often wondered that you know it's like how many people. Um, We're actually there. Jerusalem was a pretty big place. There was a lot of people in town. So how much buzz was
1: it really making? In the week that they're there for, Mm -hmm. a lot of people would be in Jerusalem. Right. And,
0: you know, there's a lot of imagery here of which gate he's going through, what that symbolized, uh, the righteous gate, Mm -hmm. just beautiful gate. Uh, But I I just often thought about that because I think I don't know. When I think about it, we like to think that of, let's say there's a million people in Jerusalem at the time. All million people are like, "Do you hear about Jesus?" And I don't know <laughs> if that was really the case. That'd be sure. that'd be I'm a sure, lot.
2: But there does seem to have been there was a buzz yeah, in guess, the in yeah. the crowd and exactly. you see that from John chapter uh, tw- John chapter 11. Um, because we see that eventually the Jews were there, right? There's many that are there for the Passover, excuse me. And it says they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another, as they stood in the temple while they're standing in the temple, John throws that little, that little tidbit.
3: Mm -hmm. They're, they're in the tidbit, tidbits, (laughs) tidbits, Tim Hortons. So are you thinking,
0: where's that Uh, in the Old Testament? (laughs) Yeah, they're in the temple. I knew Tim Hortons was good. I, yes. I do like Tim Biblical. <laughs>
2: um, and so, uh, but Jesus is the true temple, ultimately, John tells us. But what do you think that he will not come to the feast of, at all? Chief priests and Pharisees are giving orders saying, if you see him, we're going to have to arrest him. So, and it's important to remember Passover, what is that for the Jews? That is their independence day. Mm hmm. That's that in a sense, if you're a if you were just simply a if you're a Jew that light liked to emphasize yeah. the nationalistic elements of your country, mm-hmm. this is like the Fourth of July. And here you are underneath Roman occupation. And they have had there was a, you know, there there was a group of political uh kind of like we could call them maybe right-wing extremist militia types, the zealots um, who had, who wanted to set Israel free from the foreign oppression of the Roman empire. Um, but here is Jesus. These people have flooded to Jerusalem for their independence, national liberation day. And there's a certain element of the crowd that knows who Jesus is, what he's done. And, This whole thing is a powder keg just waiting for a spark to set it off. Exactly. And here comes Jesus riding on a donkey to the praise of people with palm branches, by the way, were another nationalistic uh, uh, symbol of Israel. So they're waving these things and calling him the son of David. And you could imagine just the 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 buzz in the air all of a sudden the religious leaders are saying there's a concern that he's going to set things off to where they're going to lose their position in the in um, governing Israel that the Romans are going to take away their nation their independence their their semi-independent status that they were blessed with um, and so there's just a number of competing factors here the of people you know there's there's outsiders because we see that somebody like Simon of Cyrene who's from outside of yeah. Israel, he comes in yeah. um, and uh, he's gonna be forced to carry the cross for Jesus. Um, right? So you got all sorts of elements. Uh, everything God has set the stage. And so when Jesus yep. rides into town here, this is an intentional um, my time, this is the time. Jesus has everything else in his life has built up for these for this last week this is this is it this is this is if you didn't jesus in a sense and the way the gospels are written is if you don't get anything else understand these seven days because what happens here if you get
1: this it explains everything else Mm -hmm. yeah yeah in terms of the people like did they know what was going on i thought of the passage on the road to emmaus when jesus reveals himself Uh, to the disciples who are there walking along the road. But the way their conversation starts, they don't recognize Jesus at first. Um, But he says, and and Jesus said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days?
0: Yeah, so at that point, people would have seen the dead come to life according to Matthew. Uh, it would have got dark in the middle of the day for three hours. Yeah. Yeah. The temple veil had been torn in two. And if they're all there to go to the temple for Passover, mm-hmm. right? This is known. So for sure at that point there had to be quite a, a stir yeah. going on, mm-hmm. most definitely. Um so by the end of it all people people knew what was happening. I just often wondered that because I, I think sometimes we get we tend to forget that this is real people in real time. Yeah, exactly. And we and we like to think that It was different back then, but people were people. And so like you said, Simon of Cyrene is there. I'm sure if there's like a million people going to Jerusalem, even non-Jews are like, Let's go see what's going on downtown. Mm-hmm. Sure. Or we, when
1: when there's an earthquake. Well, <laughs> yeah. right. Like yeah. I remember when there was an earthquake here in Monroe. Everybody's on Facebook, like, "What just happened?" Yeah. Well, right. You know,
2: just, and you see, like in John, right. Remember one of the things that Jesus says is, "There's some Greeks that come yeah. because they want to talk to Jesus." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's people from the outside. Sure. There's outsiders. All the Jews are coming, and God has set this up to where the Jews from every corner of the of the globe, of the known yeah. world, are coming to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're going. To, part of them are also going to stay for Pentecost, probably, and then they're going to be used to take the gospel yeah, yeah. back to their homeland. Yeah.
0: I just like us to remember that. Yeah. You know, like if the Polish, if there's a Polish festival happening downtown, I'm interested because I want to try their food. I'm not Polish. I don't right, have any right. right and so right. it's just kind of the. I think it would be the same thing here. I mean, transportation wasn't as easy uh, back then by any means, but I'd have to think. It's like, there's something big happening in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go. You yeah. guys want to, you know, we could get there in two days if we left now and spend mm-hmm. some time there mm-hmm. uh, and just enjoy what's happening in mm-hmm. the in the city. Uh, and so I kept saying that in the sermon. It's like, this is real life
3: yeah,
0: at real time, at a pointed time in history. And I was really trying to balance well in the message the idea of before the foundations of the world, a moment in time had been planned. Actually, all of them had been planned. But a moment in time was planned. <clears throat> and what is happening is that moment in time is happening now. And so it's a big deal, but it's also not that far removed from what we have now. You, I'm living in this life now. It was, it was planned for me before the foundations of the world that I would be born in 1982. Mm-hmm. It's been planned of when I'll die. And this is the time that I live. hmm This happened. It really happened. Like Jesus lived, and this was his last week. And so when when Christ was there at the foundations of the earth happening, they knew that at this appointed time he would come, be wrapped in flesh, and have to endure the wrath of God for sinners. And it was coming. It was coming very shortly. And so he's riding in on this donkey with people praising him and worshiping him. And while his time had come, he could also have said to them, "Not what you're thinking, though. You're thinking it's this time. Mm-hmm. It's not that time. It's a different. It's a different mm-hmm. time, right? That's right. about to happen. But just the anticipation of it, even in in the life of Christ, I, I don't know what that had to be like, you yeah. know, for him. Um, and that it's just good, I think, to wrap our heads around that." Um, because if we if we think of it different, then it's easy to just become like a fantasy book. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not what this is. This mm-hmm. is real, right? This is this really happened. And so Christ comes into town. We know in Scripture that he seemed to have returned to Bethany a couple times. Maybe even maybe it was just like in the evening thing. Maybe mm-hmm. there was no room for him to stay in Jerusalem. I don't know. They had a great bed and
2: breakfast. <laughs> yeah, they had, they had a good one. Mar- Mary Marty, can't go wrong. Uh, four and a half stars out there. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, but. The week, and I didn't focus too much on the week, but Jesus teaches in the temple. You can look at it, the different teachings that he has, but again, causing quite a stir. Um, And I've often thought, why was Jesus's teaching so much, so controversial or so powerful compared to others, I'm sure who had come before, but it's because he's the son of God and he spoke with authority. Mm -hmm. We see, you know, when they would be in the temple, they'd say, who is this who speaks with such authority? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why it caused the buzz as he taught as he would talk with the Pharisees and because of this teaching uh we see in Luke 22 that there's a plot then to kill him uh the religious leaders are like we have to do something about this and we need to do it quick and so uh they come up with a plot they get in touch with Judas and Judas readily uh is willing to turn Christ over to to those authorities um and so he agrees to do that. Scripture, as I said, says that Satan entered Judas at this time. And uh, Judas betray, betrays Christ mm-hmm. um, at this moment. And again, I want people to be in the moment of this is real. This is a friend of Jesus mm-hmm. betraying him. And when you think about God's plan, there's always, there was always a plan for 12. Mm-hmm. And Judas was always a part of it. And... You think about the 12 best people in history. Like, Who would you pick? We, we do that in sports, right? We say, who's our Mount Rushmore in the, of the NFL? And we mm-hmm. put the four up there or whatever, right? And we could all argue and do different things with that. But if you had all of human history and you're like, okay, God's going to have this plan and Christ is going to come and he's going to start the church, you would you would think, I would think, he's going to make sure that the best 12 ever created will be there with Jesus at that time that that would just make the most sense mm-hmm. the people who uh, can lead and who can speak and who have just great knowledge to grasp everything that jesus is saying and who have just just this resolve about them to just plow through everything and no fear in them that's the 12 that he's going you're to talking about the pharisees <laughs> that's what i but i'm saying that's no, what we would that's think, what right? i'm saying yeah. that's what we would think that's them yeah and uh that's not what we get mm-hmm. i mean that's We have, no, we've these 12 guys who seem to be dumb because every time Jesus says something, they're like, what? I don't get it, you know, Mm -hmm, and we're like, come on, and we get frustrated with them, Uh, and then one of them is the traitor, and it was planned that that would be, Yeah. Um, and how that must for us, that hurts when someone turns their back on us, and maybe not even like completely turns their back, but just hurts us, and Christ uh, went through that. Mm-hmm. He he experienced that with one of his friends, somebody that he was close to and, and trusted. And it's amazing to think all along he knew it was him, you know. He, yeah. Again, I don't like to wonder. I, I try not too much to like, what would you do if you were God? I don't like those kind of statements and, and different things. I try to stay away from it. But just wonder what that moment was like when Jesus is like, hey, Judas, you want to be a part of my group? I, mean, I would have been doing it begrudgingly <laughs> like I got to choose you, <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to betray me. Well, come on. You know, type of thing. Um, but I would have to think, and because it's Christ, he loved him the same as everybody else. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He washed his feet uh, and cared for him, trusted him with the money, knowing that, uh, it was money that would eventually lead him away to, to, to betray Christ. Anyway. So there's plot comes and, uh, we see in Luke 22, verses 7 through 13, uh, after Judas has set him up, Jesus instructs Peter and John to get them some things prepared. Now, I heard something, I saw something interesting, and when I was studying, I'd never thought of it this way. And I've also heard it taught that this is a miracle. When he sends them in and he says, You're going to see somebody carrying water. Like, how did Jesus know this? And they've said, Oh, this is just a miracle that happened. In a commentary I read, it said uh, Jesus probably knew a lot of people in Jerusalem, he'd been there a lot. He probably had friends, and he could he he could have known this. Like you're gonna see somebody in town because mm-hmm. every day they go here. You're gonna see him. Tell him who it is. It's the Lord. He's gonna know it's me. I have a relationship with him already, and and you'll be all good. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard it that way before. Mm-hmm. I, have you guys no. never heard it? Yeah, no. 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 yeah. I'd always heard it as like it's it's like a miracle. Mm-hmm. Christ seeing into the future and telling the future. I don't know. I, I was just an interesting thing when Which I mean it wouldn't be out him. of
1: the ordinary. He's done that numerous other times
0: sure yeah i'm not doubting that it could have been a miracle it could have been but i'm also not when he said that i'm like yeah it kind of makes sense he probably
3: well (laughs) and it makes it real it makes it like he had a network you know he had these connections he knew jerusalem he knew Mm -hmm. the you know and that it just makes it like oh yeah it makes it real like this is like you said this is real this these are real people Mm -hmm. that's what really happened
0: and so Jesus then goes to this house where uh, things have been prepared in this upper room, and he institutes the Lord's Supper, and he he tells them, you know, I've, I've been desiring this moment with you. And what a big moment, right? He's, he's going to give this meal to them for the church to have forever until we eat with him again. And such a simple meal, right, of just some bread and some drink. And remember, this is my body and this is my blood, and he says in it, I don't know if you guys want to talk about this real quick, but he says this is a new a new covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys want to jump on that? Why Why is that so important here? This is a, a new covenant I'm making with you. You're doing a class on covenants, aren't yeah. you, Spencer? He should know. <laughs> covenants,
2: um, well, obviously one of the important things is he uses the opportunity of the old covenant ceremonial meal. So, Covenants in the Old Testament were often, well, the phrase literally when covenants were made, they were. It says covenants were cut, so a covenant was cut. So you see cutting involved with the Abrahamic covenant in three different chapters: Genesis fifteen, Genesis seventeen, and Genesis twenty-two, where Isaac's throat is not cut, but we have a knife getting involved. Right, so there's cutting there, um, and with the Mosaic covenant, there was there was bloodshed. And um, the Passover was the continual uh, covenant meal to remind Israel of, of their relationship to God, which was a, a continual re- reaffirmation and renewal and remembrance of their joining together to be God's people. So Jesus takes that, that same Old Testament meal, but now transforms it into a meal for the new covenant. And Jesus is Uh, the, the, the new covenant, the eternal prom, the Jesus Christ in some sense, right? Is the lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. So the covenant was cut before the foundation of the world. But in another sense, it's about ready to be cut in his death because he's the one who's going to be cut. And so the meal here is a covenant meal whereby Jesus through Christ, we sit at the table with God now. Um, we're able to sit there and eat and drink with God and fellowship with him. In, and, and the idea of covenant is, is joining together two parties in a new relationship. Um, the most basic covenant we have is marriage, which joins together two people who are unrelated before, but now they're family whenever they're joined together in a covenant relationship. And similarly here, Jesus in this meal, when we sit down together, it's a family table because we who once were separated from God are brought together in him. And so we're able to sit at the meal with him because now we're, we're the adopted sons and daughters of God and Jesus Christ is, is our Savior. And so the the meal represents that through which we have this, this new joining together, this fellowship with God, which is his body And his blood. So it's all tied together. So much Old Testament imagery is just packed into these verses.
1: That's why it's important to know the Old Testament and such. Yeah, in in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah is prophesying about this, this coming new covenant. He compares it to the old covenant that was made between God and his people when they were released from Egypt. And it just says in thirty-one thirty-one, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. So he's talking about the law there. But it's also, I mean, it's it's there's a lot of symbolism here of what meal were they celebrating when Jesus instituted you know, the Lord's Supper, they were celebrating the Passover, which Mm -hmm. is the meal that they celebrated at the Exodus Mm -hmm. when they were taken out of Egypt, right? And so it's at the kind of the the same moment Mm -hmm. uh, in time of salvation. He goes on a little bit more, but, and he just says, and no longer shall each teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more, Uh, which is the symbolism there in the covenant that Jesus points to of the bread, his broken body and his blood shed for them, Mm -hmm. right? The forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's like Spencer said, how God relates to his people, but there's a fundamental difference here that's happening.
0: Yeah. And it's important that we observe the Lord's supper. We see this in the new Testament as well, but there's a reason for that is because we actually get to visually see the gospel as we partake the lord's supper together i've often been told uh, and i remember in like preaching class and stuff people you know they would say we have different types of learners you know we have people who can listen to people who just give lectures you have people though who are visual they need to they need to see things or, or whatever it might be and the way the way too often that that was took was like you need to show videos and you need to have like il- these illustrations that are just great but what God has done is he's made it visual. Jesus has done that for us here. He's made it visual. Look, here's bread. This is my body that's broken for you. Look at this cup. Right? What is the color? This is my this is my blood. Mm-hmm. This is my blood that is that's shed for you. And look at all of you partaking in this together. Right? You guys are here because of of me, of who I am and what I've done. And I've died for you. Um and so it's important to be a part of Lord's Supper. Uh, regularly and that's why we do it together Um, but it helps us to see you know it helps helps to teach your kids like what they're like what is going on here why are we eating this thing you know Um, this is why this is why we do this just like they would have done with passover this is why we do this uh, because what god had done for us back in egypt Uh, and so we have that visual aid that helps us we have it with baptism uh, as well but but christ establishes us here uh, in the upper room with his disciples. And so he says, I've been waiting for this meal. I've been looking forward to this moment, which we could say was before the foundation of the world. I've been looking forward to this time to spend with you. And we we go next, and his disciples are disputing uh, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, (laughs) which, uh, again, would have just been a frustrating thing for any of us uh, to have to experience. In this moment, I, I want to do this for you. This is my body. This is my blood. Hey, who's who's the best yeah. out of us? Who what you, a contrast, right? Yeah, who do you like the best? <laughs> you know, and it's just oh. again, it's one of those things I think where we get frustrated with the disciples. But uh, in studying this and really pondering it, I remember just thinking uh, of putting ourselves in the shoes of the disciples in that moment, and how often we're that way, and how seeing this, <clears throat> seeing how Christ responds here. And that these are the men that he chose. I really think it should give us hope. <laughs> uh, how God would choose the foolish. Like we were talking about before. You know, you want to take your Mount Rushmore of men. And these are the men that had been chosen to be the 12 with Jesus. One traitor and the rest just morons it seems. And how it's like, and he loved them. And he cared for them. And God used them. And... uh he loves me and he and he cares for me cuz I can see myself in those men so often. Right? And then he he goes to Peter just after and he when he's talking to Peter, I mean it's like, "Hey, you're going to fail me, but when you come back, when you come back from failing me, listen, I need you to do this. I need you to strengthen these other these other men." Now, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> we know that Jesus had a close relationship it seems with um with John, um with uh James and, James Peter. and Peter. Yeah. And I don't know if those three just seem like the leaders, you know, they're, I don't know. I I don't know why they rose up to the top, but they did. And it seems as if Jesus is telling Peter here, like, I know you're a leader and you're going to fail, but when you come back, I need you to lead the, I need you to lead them. I need you to strengthen them. Uh, And thankfully we, we see Peter do that, don't we? (laughs) Mm -hmm. But again, just the hope we have is like, I, I don't want to get people in my life and give people jobs, but I know they're going to fail. That's not something that you do, but we see that here. And again, it gives me hope because so often I come back to church on Sunday morning and Spencer stands up there to do like, uh, to read a passage of scripture and we're praying about our sin. And I'm reminded again, as I'm sitting there of like, I sinned again all week. I mean, all week I failed again. And you look at Peter and it's like, I was like Peter. I mean, I just Mm -hmm. blatantly, Failed. I mean, the pastor last week told me, don't fail. Like, go and be who God wants you to be. All these things, right? And I went out there, and the little girl came to me, and I said, I don't know him. I did it again, again and again and again. Um, But I'm reminded when I see this, of Christ's love doesn't seem to be based off of that, does it? Mm -hmm. Here with Peter. It's not based off of his merit or how good he's going to do something. It's like Jesus saying, listen, I know you're weak, and I know you're going to fail but you're going to come back. And when you come back, this is what I need you to do. Okay. And and I hope that you do it. And again, just, I think it just provides so much hope for us and it gives me peace, you know, and in, in my life of knowing that it's not on me, I, I do want to do better. Uh, but knowing that Christ loves me, helps me to do better. That's what drives, that's what drives me. And I just wonder, you know, if Peter, you know, in that moment when he sinned, he reflected on Christ's words <clears throat> But I wonder when this kicked in in his life was like, you know, he told me I was going to fail, but then he said, strengthen your brothers. Mm -hmm. Right. He did give me a task still. And I want to go do that task. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I'd never looked at it that way. I guess before I just more looked at it as we often do being like, man, those guys were so silly. Um, but just seeing myself in that more and how Christ still would love them and wash their feet and care for them.
1: Uh, well, I think something that you said at this point in your sermon, I think this is where you said it was bringing up about how a lot of times people will leave church and not come back Oh yeah. simply because they feel shame mm-hmm. about their own sin and their own guilt. And I I have found that to be very true as well. And in just interaction with people that people's shame and guilt keeps them away from church because they feel like they're not good enough. Right. Or they're just, their sin is just going to be thrown back in their face and a lot of times it's not even because somebody is throwing it in their face. It's because they feel shame and guilt over their sin. And um, Yeah, Satan's throwing it in their face, right?
0: I mean a lot of times it's Satan reminding them you can't go in there.
1: Yeah, a lot of times it is. I think a lot of times it is probably guilt that they should feel if they oh, haven't yeah, if they haven't sure. believed in Christ, mm-hmm. you know, and uh conviction over sin is, is a good thing mm-hmm. at times. But sure. that's why we always have to be careful to remind people of grace. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, you can say that yesterday to maybe the per- like that person who's there who feels the shame and guilt, but it's also a word to us who were there that maybe we weren't feeling that, but there's somebody we haven't seen in a while. Mm-hmm. Where are they? And that might be something's going on in their life, and they're not coming because they've kind of fallen. You know, They've kind of backslidden, however you want to talk about it, and they might just need a word from a Christian brother or sister to remind them of God's grace and that you still love them, that you still care about them, you know, I just thought that was a good point mm-hmm. in your sermon. That's very mm-hmm. true.
0: So, after uh, being in the upper room, they leave and go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's here where Jesus is praying. Luke tells us that an angel was there ministering to Christ. He's sweating drops of blood. He's going back to the disciples. The disciples are tired. He's been asking. Now, which angel was that?
2: I don't know. I'm sure there's a book written on this. I'm sure. I'm just joking. I'm just saying. It's obviously a point that doesn't matter. Oh, I was just bringing it up just to be... Doesn't I mean, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's in Scripture, Spencer. It yeah. matters. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're right. And it, it, this is the account, too, which says he sweat drops of blood, too, right? Mm-hmm. In Luke's account, in the garden. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. Correct. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, did you have a question?
0: No, I thought you were going to wow us with something there. Would you say, no. like, I've heard <laughs> no, people... I thought I was going to wow you with something <laughs> there. I was waiting for it. I've heard uh, people say that,
1: like, this, uh, him praying in the garden, it, like, at the beginning of Christ's ministry, when he goes into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan, uh, it says that he left him until a more opportune time. Uh, is that this? Do you guys, mm. have you guys thought through that? Is this that, like, that second trial of temptation of Christ?
0: Maybe. I mean,
1: I don't think
0: Christ ever wavered. I think some people will try to take his thing like, Father, let this pass for me. I don't think that's wavering. I don't think that was like a temptation or or a doubt. I think we see his humanity there of knowing what is about to happen and about to take place. But, I mean, no doubt, I'm sure Satan was tempting in this moment, but I think... Again, I'm not Satan. Because
1: that's what he encouraged his disciples to pray about, right? That you may not enter into temptation. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I mean, I think think Satan wanted him dead. And so there would have been, you don't want to distract him from that. Let's get him to the cross. Uh, I think Satan, it's interesting you say that,
2: though, because the one thing Satan offers him in the wilderness though, is the kingdom without the cross. I know. Yeah. And so I do think there's a hint. There could be that hint where he does say, pray that you won't enter into temptation because the temptation here again is to not obey the father's plan somehow, some way. Now that might be, I'm going to kill him and I'm going to finish the father's plan or it could be just anything because if you can deviate at all, you can get the Christ. And so when we talk about Christ's temptation, you and I as sinners, we are tempted not simply by external things outside of us, but we also struggle because there's there's our internal um, nature is inclined towards sin. Jesus never had a nature inclined towards sin, mm-hmm. but there definitely was temptation externally to him. And on the one hand, Jesus, um, it is, like you said, Tim, it's human to not want to face pain. So there's nothing sinful about... Um, having a natural aversion to physical or, as in Jesus's case, um, spiritual pain as well that he knew was going to be coming. So there's nothing wrong with having that aversion. The aversion is, however, if you don't trust God, your Father, to carry out the plan that he gives to you. And, and so that's why he does pray, not yeah, my that's... will but yours. So he does submit ultimately to mm-hmm. the Father's will. So there may be this wrestling going on, but he does he, he's tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He learns obedience by what he suffers here.
0: Um yeah, for the, us. The Satan thing I think it's hard because you're right, like we want to think, and I even said there there's a side where you think Satan is wanting him dead. Look, I've conquered I, I conquered it, yeah, right? Yeah. There's also a sense where we know we know Satan is very wise and very smart and he knows the word of God. He mm-hmm. he knows scripture. He knows Jesus was talking about destroy this temple in three days, I will rebuild it. There is a chance, right, where it's like he doesn't I don't mm. know, where he doesn't want him dead. I know that sounds kind of weird, but right. like is there like you said, is there a way to deviate in any any way? Like whispering, call the call the angels. Right. Call him now. Jesus says that. I could do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like, like let's do it. Do it now. Or look at your disciples. They're ready mm-hmm. to fight. Let's let's go or, after this.
2: Or like, pray mm-hmm. this prayer. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But don't say the last part. Right. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. So if I can get Jesus to want just, if, and that's so often the way we pray, just take this away. Right. But we don't pray the
3: latter part. Yeah. But not my will, yeah. but yours be done. Yeah. But then you have to think about Genesis 3.15, Genesis because Satan knew What God said, you know, you, your heel, his heel will be bruised, but your head will be crushed. So he knew that crushing was going to come. So perhaps he was trying to circumvent that, get around that, like to some degree of how, how can I avoid getting my head crushed, you know, Mm. being defeated, you know, because even Romans, Paul picks up on that, you know, his enemies will be crushed underfoot. And so the bruising seems to be the crucifixion mm-hmm. um, and so maybe there was both and this sense of like I have to I have to get him to be dead although he would know that death's not going to hold him
1: right right well, how, well, well how did because
2: how did the serpent defeat the first Adam he did it by getting him to disobey God's word God. did God really say did God, God say so he got that's how he defeated the right. first Adam and so how is he going to try to defeat the second Adam yeah. same way yeah and that's why he comes, if, you know, basically, if you really are God's son, why doesn't he take care of you? Make some bread here for yourself, yeah. because obviously God doesn't love you. Mm-hmm. And and he's tempting him to doubt the fatherhood of God. Yeah. And consistently, right, throughout uh, testing, Satan's behind the scenes trying to get Jesus to uh, disobey the yeah. father's plan that's and true. purpose. And so, yeah, somehow, some way, whatever that looks like, yeah. um, you know, we got to get, we have to force christ somehow to to deviate from the father's Mm -hmm. word to doubt god's word Mm
0: -hmm. and he never doubts the father yep so in the garden uh it comes to a point where it is time uh jesus knows the time is coming here's judas coming with uh a group of people who are going to arrest arrest jesus uh jesus goes freely with them um It's not like a fight. The disciples seem to be ready to fight, but then they they don't. Jesus tells them not to fight. Uh, He goes goes with them. Judas has done his work, and the trial is going to start. And so they take him to the council. He's taken to the chief priests. He's taken to the scribes. He's questioned. He's tried. Uh, And what they want is they want Jesus to commit blasphemy in front of them. And so they're asking him basically, are you God? Are you the son of God? All these different questions. He never really falls into the trap. He says, this is what you guys say, right? It's what you guys are saying, and that was enough for them. Uh, And so that's one of the things that you come across people who say, just just show me where Jesus claims to be God, and I'll believe in him. And it's like, it's right here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's here. Right. It's why they killed him. It's it's (laughs) in other places. It's why they killed him. I mean, these Pharisees and scribes were not dumb. They're highly educated men, and they're not killing Jesus just because he looks weird or don't like him. They... He is claiming to be God and that bothers them. Well, there's even a guy to, you know, um, Dennis Prager. Anybody know Dennis I've heard Prager? That name. Yeah.
2: There's actually an interesting um, discussion with Alistair Begg and Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager is a, well, I mean, he's kind of known for being politically conservative, but he's a, pra- he's a Jew. Oh yeah. Uh, I know And, what you're and, about. and yeah, Alistair yeah. Begg and him had a conversation. Right. And Dennis Prager flat out said, the problem that we have with Jesus is not the claim that he's the Christ. Because there is anybody can claim to be the Messiah, the problem always has been the claim to divinity, mm-hmm. and that was the Jewish problem in one sense. If, you're the, if you claim to be the Christ, there's been, there probably have been many pretenders before, and they go away. They're not a threat. But if you claim this is a theological problem for them, first of all, you're the son of God, but then they have to flip that whenever they go to the Romans, because the Romans really don't care if you're the son of God. They, yeah. this is a, that's a theological question for you guys to have. But, so the Jews then, when they come to Pilate, they say, this guy says he's the king of the Jews, right? We've only got Caesar as the king. Caesar's the emperor, and we've got a king also, right? The Herod and his uh, sons now, or the the sons are the various kings and rulers. So he's a political problem now. See, for them, Jesus was a theological as well as a pol- as well as a sure. a political problem. But they come to the Romans, especially with this, as Jesus as a
0: political rebel that needs to be dealt with and to put this down. So they go, like you said, they had to go to the Romans, right? So from there, they go to Pilate. Um, Pilate doesn't see anything wrong with him. You know, I don't see anything wrong, but he he knows Herod's in town. Jesus is under Herod's jurisdiction. Go to Herod. Let's see what happens there. Herod uh, is is fascinated by Jesus. He's heard of him. He wants to see it seems like some sort of miracle. He wants to see something done, almost treating Jesus like a clown, you know, uh, do something for me, clown, type of thing. Uh, Jesus isn't willing to do that. He gets bothered by Jesus, almost seems bored of him. So they dress him up, mock him, and send him back to Pilate. Uh, now, an interesting thing here, I think, with the scribes and Pharisees and those who are here, they want to claim righteousness. And again, I, I read this when I was studying. And they're worried about Passover, but yet they're willing to go to Pilate and become unclean. Mm-hmm. And they're actually disobeying their it's a own good law.
3: That's a good point.
0: They're disobeying their own law by mm-hmm. going into the courts of the Gentiles. They're unclean, and they're to be unclean for a while, which actually would make them not be able to observe Passover mm-hmm. to really go to the temple. It's not brought up uh, anywhere, mm-hmm. but their hatred and willingness to go to any extent yeah. to kill Christ here mm-hmm. is seen in that, because that would have been a big deal about being unclean. Mm-hmm. Um and now I don't know. Maybe there was like a line they didn't cross. Maybe they threw Jesus into the court. They kind of stood out. I, I don't I well, don't there know. Well,
2: there is this, this verse, yeah. I guess, in John 18 where it says, they went from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. And it says about the Jews, they themselves did not enter yeah. his headquarters right. so that they would not be defiled yeah. but could eat the Passover. So Pilate goes out to them. Yeah. What's a fascinating thing is – they're about ready to murder somebody. Yeah,
1: yeah They it's, they're, the, it's in, the classic, they're, <laughs> they're following all the rules. Right. But what's so obvious is that yeah. their hearts are so yeah. rotten. Right. And, yeah. and that's what they're not. It's all about the outward actions and not the inward nature of their yeah. hearts.
2: So Jesus, uh, he might be brought in to pilot, though. So they don't go in to pilot. Yeah, he, he goes. He goes in. They talk in. So private. Jesus, he's unclean, yeah. but internally he's un- he's he's the only yeah, one who's spotless. he is clean. There's so many ironies yeah. in this ironies, story. So
0: yeah, That's
2: you know, a good point. I think, I good think good there's part.
0: something to learn there, though. In that you know, it was, you talked about how hard-hearted their hearts. I I see this in myself. I want to say that first, but I see this in other Christians, man, where they think they're on some righteous campaign for somebody. Mm-hmm. and their hearts are so hard. There's no kindness in them. There's no mercy. There's no grace. There's none of that in them. You can see it. They're, they're we're going to do this. We're Let's crush. Let's do this. And it's like, man, I don't know if that should be our attitudes. And that's the attitudes we see here with the Pharisees. They're very fervent. They're they very religious. And I think, like you, we had said, this was a theological thing. They're dealing with a the theological mm-hmm. thing but man, there just doesn't seem to be any kindness or anything in it. Why at that moment, why not wait, mm-hmm. you know, wait till next week and deal with it then, or there's all types of different routes. They could have went that they're not choosing to do that. It's instant hatred. Uh, and they would say righteous hatred. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people claim that as Christians today, this is righteous hatred. Look at what that guy is a heretic and we should just flat out bully him out of here. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one route. I mean, I think there's other routes though. Um, and so we have to be, careful again to judge these men these pharisees because i think it's very easy for us Mm -hmm. to uh act the same way in the name of holding the christian banner as if we're the ones who hold it up Mm -hmm. we don't right we have to be we have to be careful with that now i'm not saying you don't go after heretics and i'm not trying to say any of that just saying how you do it and how you handle it is is important um so anyways they have this uh trial before pot which actually the sermon was going to just be on the trial for a while I was just very fascinated in that phrase what is the truth mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and you got this Gentile I I think he wants to know what do you say the truth is uh,
1: and uh, anyways right that I mean, it uh, seems to have been bugging his household yeah his wife was right, having dreams and, 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 yeah yeah you know, and so yeah. there's something going on and so Pilate tries his best
0: to rid himself of guilt doesn't he mm-hmm. and it says he washes his hands and he's, but, but the problem is you can't wash yourself of guilt. Uh, he says, go ahead, do what you want. And guilty, he let him die, gave him the men to even do it, uh, to go and, and to crucify Christ. And and so that's what that's what happens after he returns to Pilate. He goes away. Pilate turns him over. And we see Jesus is crucified. They lead Christ away to Golgotha, a place that he's going to be killed in this scene, we see don't I mean we see the hatred that he, they had for Christ. The Romans doing their job, but also mocking, gladly mocking, gladly gambling on his um, the stuff he was wearing, uh, dividing his garment, like it was said. Uh, the rulers and the chief priests just not just wanting to see him killed, but wanting to see him embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, they were upset that they put the king of the Jews above the, his head. Um, But they wanted to parade him in the street, right? Look at this guy. He says he's God. We're going to show you he's not God because we couldn't do this to God. God wouldn't allow it. God wouldn't let this happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, so it's just a a scene of pure hatred, of mocking. And again, they feel they're doing the right thing. They feel they're doing what God would want them to do. Uh, But really what's happening is they're killing the Son of God, which was again planned before the foundations Mm -hmm. of the world. And I made that point in the message to talk about in this, we see how big God is. We have all of these uh, uh, people in play, don't we? And and we have all of these decisions being made by all of these people, all on their own, all under their free will to make decisions. And they're doing that: Pilate and Herod and the Pharisees and Judas and the other disciples. We have all of this working out in play. But yet we have to remember in the grand scheme of things, all of this had been planned before the foundations of the world. And a lot of times we want to squibble and argue over this of how can we do this? How can we have free will, but God also planned this and harden Pharaoh's heart or do this with Pilate? He does, and it works perfect every time, every time. And it's not God just trying to figure stuff out in the moment, like, oh, he made that decision, so I'm going to counter it. No, it was planned before the foundation of the world that all this would happen all these people are guilty in their decisions, right? There's there's absolute freedom happening within here, and we shouldn't look at that and get confused and be frustrated with God. What we should what what I think the purpose is is we should look at that and be in awe of how big God is. How big God is in this moment. That this has been planned out. All of this is playing out perfectly. Satan thinks that he is winning. Satan thinks he's getting to the, all this, but no. This is actually going to be the crushing Right, this is, this is actually working exactly how it was planned. Christ is going to the cross, and he is going to die, and he's going to die for sinners.
1: And not just in awe. We should be thankful, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, do you really want to leave this up to chance? No. Right? <laughs> <You're> <laughs> it's like, right. would you have it any other way? You're right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean,
0: yeah, you know, you're exactly right, Scott. And I, I just think that's important for us to to grasp and to, and to gather and to, to really think about Uh, Because it does, at least for me, it leaves me in awe of how that works. I know it doesn't work like that in my life. I can come up with plans and things. It takes nothing. And then the subway system goes
1: (laughs) down. It takes (laughs) nothing.
0: Any little thing can derail it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, anything. Uh, But not with God. Mm -hmm. And so all the way to eternity, you know, the day that we look forward to, Christ returning and us eating with, dining with him again, all of it is planned out perfectly according to God's plan. And we don't have to fret about it and worry about it mm-hmm. because of what Christ has done, we can be a part of God's family because of his great grace, right? In our in our life. And so mm-hmm. uh, I want us to be in in awe of that. Um so we see Jesus being crucified. I know this is going this is going long. Uh he hangs with the... Sinners there, he's he's crucified between uh, two other men who are being crucified. You have a conversation there. Uh, one thief is wanting off the cross, which is understandable. <laughs> I would have wanted the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, the other one seems to uh, see Jesus in a different light at that moment. Asks if he would be remembered. Would you remember me? What a simple question. Uh, would you remember me? You know, and uh, Jesus says, "You will be with me in paradise." And I I reference that thing that is pretty famous that Alistair did that sermon. I, I didn't like particularly listen to that sermon on purpose. I think it was just on the radio or whatever that day. But I thought I, I I still love. It. I still think about it when you know that that thief is in heaven and they're like, <laughs> "How'd you get here?" Alistair does a great job with you can find it way better than me. But the guy's like. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. How'd you get here? And the guy's just like, I'm not. I'm not sure. And the way Alistair says it actually is, he's like that angel goes and gets a supervisor. <laughs> Let me get my supervisor. <laughs> and the supervisor comes out, and he's the one who's like, mm-hmm. No, no. Okay, now, is it justification that brought you here? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> you know, you know, and ask some these other things. Was it yeah, this was good? That's good. And the guys just like, I, I don't know. It was the man in the middle said he'd remember me. And now I'm here, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, again, that's conjecture. (laughs) Did -hmm. that conversation happen? No, it didn't. But you just see the simplicity, don't you, of salvation in Mm -hmm. this. And that that man on that cross could not do anything in that moment but die. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what was happening to him was death. And he recognized that. Mm -hmm. And simply because Jesus said, yeah, you'll be with me. There he is. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have all the answers. Wasn't even baptized. But yet, we'll get to spend eternity with Christ forever in glory. And uh, what a what a beautiful thing we have
1: there, mm-hmm. right? I, just, I was just going to point out, I mean, you have to think about the faith of that guy being crucified next to Christ. Because if there was ever a moment when you would think that the followers of Jesus would not have faith in him, it's when he's being killed by the enemy, mm-hmm. right? It's when he seems to have lost to everyone around him. Yet that's exactly when the thief on the cross looks to him as, as the Savior, as the one who can save mm-hmm. him. And what else is interesting is that,
2: of course, there's so much irony here. Jesus has the sign, the king of the Jews. The, G- the Jews hate that, that it's up there. Say, this man said I'm the king of the Jews. <laughs> yeah, something. Pilate says, no, nah, what I've written, I've written, because he's just trying to get back at them. Sure. But the truth is, God put that sign there for the whole world to see that this really is the king of the Jews. And whenever they put him up on the cross, that's actually a throne for him to where, look at this guy. What is he saying? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He looks at Jesus <clears throat> and through all the blood and the sweat and the tears, he looks at this man who doesn't look like a man anymore, marred beyond the visage of any man. And he says, that's a king. And he's asking the king for something. And what's wonderful here is salvation is not found whenever in us trying so hard to remember Jesus. Salvation is found when Jesus remembers us. And so that's what salvation is for, for this man. Faith simply looks to Christ and says, Jesus, will you remember me? And, and that is a great reminder because faith is not the one thing we have to do to please God. Faith is what we look at is when we just simply look at christ and he says yeah i'll remember you and he takes care of the rest mm-hmm. and so you can imagine mm-hmm. the suffering that this man went through but he was he was going to paradise within a few hours mm-hmm. and yeah, what, what a drastic the, change right because the yeah, king said yeah. he could but look at look at the pharisees and the religious leaders they're not going to paradise mm-hmm. they're off the cross but they're not going but this guy because he looks
0: at christ He's going to be in paradise in a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could look at those people not on the cross and say they have true freedom. They're not nailed yeah. on the cross. Look at them; they have right. true freedom. Right. When in fact, it was the one nailed on the cross who was given yep. freedom mm-hmm. <clears throat> by the other guy on the. Isn't cross. that fascinating the irony? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like
2: you said. Yeah, I mean, he's going through hell on the cross literally, mm-hmm. and yet he's about ready to unlock the keys of paradise. And these guys think that you know they're about ready to go celebrate Passover. It's been a great you know whatever but actually yeah victory, un- unless they repent right. they will face god's judgment yeah. the yeah. the wrath of the lamb as well as it's mm-hmm. called yeah. you know so i mean there's just so many um, ironies and uh, amazing things that are going on where even even think about the last temptations of christ here he saved others let him save himself if he is the christ i mean that's the voice of satan Mm-hmm. Oh really? So you're the Christ? will save you. You can save others, right? well save yourself. Well, no. It's because He saves others because He doesn't save Himself. Mm-hmm. That's the way this has always been. Yeah. And uh, anyway,
0: so uh, we have to remember, and we'll talk about this more on Friday at our service for Good Friday. Friday. We have a good, serv- a good service. Good service. <laughs> yes, yeah, be it's good. Be, great. Great. <laughs> it should be good. The best ever. We <laughs> have a Good Friday service. It's going to be huge. <laughs> <laughs> it's at six o'clock
3: hmm.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Six o'clock. Um, but we cannot get past the cross. We must never get past the cross as Christians. Uh, we are people of of the cross. And this is what we ask of people is to look upon the man on the cross. That is who has saved us. That is who is our is our king. And we know he rises from the dead, that he, he's been resurrected. The grave could not. Not hold him uh, he sits at the right hand of the father but we should never get past the cross it's something we must teach it's something we must proclaim it's something that we must know and understand mm-hmm. and realize uh, because it is there like we talked about that the covenant is the new covenant is is sealed there by his blood and so it's not something that we can be ashamed of uh, it's it's what we hold on to and so well like i said we'll talk more about that on uh, on friday and thinking about the the death of Christ and the importance of the death of Christ and the necess- the necessity of it uh, as well. So, like, hopefully, we we see you on Friday, like I said, at, at six o'clock. Uh, look forward to that, and then also Sunday, uh, Easter Easter Sunday, we will we'll be here. We have Sunday school. We have our our normal service time at ten thirty, and so we hope to see you on Easter uh, Sunday as well to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But uh, until then, I hope that you have uh, a great week. God bless.